1: I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians. We're we're in 2 Thessalonians now. We've made our way through 1 Thessalonians. In our study, Peace in the Coming Storm, we're going to be looking at, over the next few weeks, the second letter in this part of our study. It's going to be a very important lesson. It's kind of like a follow-up letter to what he talked about in the first letter. With this second letter, he's going to kind of answer some more questions. Really, the history of it is that when Paul sent his first letter, they followed it up with a letter back to him because they had more questions. And so he uses this second letter of Thessalonians to, to answer a lot of questions about the things that they're facing and the things that they're going through. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians Chapter 1. Now we're only going to focus on verses 3 to 5, which is from his prayer of thanksgiving for them, because I think as we look at what he's saying here in this prayer, we're going to look at more of the prayer next week, we're going to see that with this prayer, you and I can gain perspective. Gain perspective about what, George? Well, gain perspective about your Christian walk. What do you mean? Well, I'll be be honest with you. It's really easy for you and I to have a false perception of ourselves because you and I can think that we're doing okay as far as the Lord because of, and we have our measurements of how and what we respond to. In fact, that's my first point. My first point is, is that we tend to evaluate our spiritual lives based on worldly standards. What do you mean by worldly standards? Well, for instance, one of the things that we tend to evaluate our spiritual lives based on is, am I attending church? And and some people, that has bothered them because they feel like the key to their spiritual life is whether or not they show up in the door. That's it. If I show up, I know I'm okay. And a lot of people have done that. I attend church, I do my duty, some people, it's giving. Some people, it's other things that they're judging their spiritual life by. Now, the problem is, is that all of that stuff that we tend to judge our involvement, here's another one, how involved they are. Are they volunteering at the church? Are they serving in Sunday school? Are they working in the nursery? Are they volunteering for that work group or whatever? Well, if you think about it, we do. Base our assessment on that because that's how we view each other. Oh, well, he's a good person or she's a good person because they're always here, they're always serving. And that's how we judge each other as far as whether or not we're doing well spiritually. Now, the problem is that is not what the Bible says. If you go to the New Testament, if you look at the letters, in fact, we're going to look at a couple of verses here in a moment you're not going to see that our spiritual lives are based on those kind of things. It's not based on that. That's not how you judge if you're okay with Jesus. Because I think if we're all honest with ourselves, let's be honest. I've been a believer now since 1985. Some of you have been a believer for a while. Think back over your church life. Have you not met people that came to church every Sunday, were involved in everything, even gave, but they were a mess. And spiritually, they were nowhere. And you might even question if they really even knew Jesus. But if you use those standards, well, it looks like they're doing okay, right? In fact, I can remember multiple times through the years of saying, wow, I am shocked. I would have never guessed that about that person. Why would I have never guessed that? Because I was evaluating them on these outside issues. Here's another one that is often used. It's a deceptive one. Here's the second point I want to show you is is that the level of your Bible knowledge does not equal spiritual maturity. One of the big ones that we use to see if you are spiritually mature in our churches is how much you know about the Bible or can you answer questions. And so what happens is is that we even judge ourselves. Well, I'm not really mature. Why? Because I don't really know the Bible that well. Or, well, he's really good. Do you see how he answers those questions? He's really mature. That really, my friends, is a very false standard of judgment. Because I've met some deeply spiritual people, and it's not because they had a great knowledge of the Bible, it's that they had a great knowledge of Jesus. They had a personal relationship with Jesus. I've also met some people who had a great knowledge of the Bible, but were morally bankrupt. Do you understand what I'm saying? They were morally bankrupt because they didn't apply anything that they knew. In fact, if anything, the scripture warns us to be careful of just having Bible knowledge. What do you mean? So for instance, think about the, the Gospels. What was the one group that Jesus was always rebuking? Who were they? Can anybody tell me? Pharisees. All right, Now, all right, so the Pharisees. You think about the Pharisees. Did they know their Bibles? Yeah, they knew their Bibles. Did it change their lives? No, they were actually morally bankrupt, weren't they? Their hearts weren't right. Another one, Paul says, you know, knowledge puffs up. Yeah, you ever met somebody who knows a lot? and Usually what goes with that is sometimes an arrogance about things. Here's another one, Paul warns that you can have great knowledge but not have love. What's more important than anything in the scripture is that you and I have what? love for one another. In fact, we're going to see that here in a moment. See, here's the problem. The problem is, with our spiritual lives right now, you and I can have a false perception of ourselves and think that we're okay with God because we're looking at all these external things. Now, what are you getting at, George? Well, I want you to look with me. We're going to look at verses 3 through 5. Look at what Paul says. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer all right now here's what we're going to do guys we're going to look at a couple of things here we're going to focus on verse three and we're going to talk about what really matters you want to understand what really matters in your Christian life I got two things I'm going to point out to you there And it's not how perfect your attendance is. Now, we want you to attend. Don't get me wrong. We want you to come. I'm not saying don't come. But you come because you want to be with the church family. Did you understand? It's not for you to feel good about yourself as far as I'm doing good as a Christian. All right? So we're going to see what really matters. And then we're going to see proper attitudes. We're going to talk about some proper attitudes, especially I think this is relevant today with where all of us are at right now in our culture, in our society, and what's happening around us. All right, so let's talk about what really matters. Look with me, verse three. We are bound. That's a pretty, that's like we are, we are, we have a responsibility, he's saying, to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other now here's the first thing what really matters you want to know what really matters what really matters in your Christian life the first one is your faith here's what it says their faith was flourishing and increasing that's what really matters we say wait a minute George you just talked about that Bible knowledge doesn't mean spiritual maturity. Isn't faith what we believe in? Yeah, but here's the thing faith is what you believe in and trust in, but that's not a set of doctrine. Your faith isn't in how much you know, it's who you know. Did you understand what I'm saying? And so what the issue is, okay, so let's let's recognize something. All right, everybody understand. You should be knowing this right now in the world we live in, right? You're going to face difficulties. You're going to face struggles. And and some, it's like, you know, Lori and I are like bewildered sometimes that, you know, like, just discussions with people like, what happened to them? Oh, well, they live in 2020 now. That's what's happened to them. Well, you know, like, so that like it's like the world we live in has changed and people are so on edge and angry and, and everybody's ready to give their opinion and they're right. And you're like, how do, I, how do I deal with this? And you're like, and then you've got all these issues that are happening, struggles and stuff that's imposed on you that you don't know what to do about, that you didn't ask for. Like how many of us are asking for problems? We're not. And then how do you deal with that? Well, here's the thing: in the midst of that, how's your faith doing? All right, because you think about the Thessalonians, folks, they were going through a deeper water than we are. They were facing outright persecution for their faith in the community in which they lived in, to the point of almost deadly. And what carried them through that? Their faith. And it's more than just a simple belief. It's a trust. Their trust in God, their faith in God, was abounding and increasing. Do you you understand what I'm saying? It was growing through the midst of what they're going through. Is yours growing right now? See, that's the judge of how you're doing spiritually. What really matters is how's your faith doing? Are you trusting in him through the stuff that you're going through? Because let's be honest, the way it is these days, you and I would typically would say, "Oh, I got another week coming up. I don't know what's going on." We're like, "Yeah, we got another week coming up. I hope I can make it through it because I don't know what that means." We don't know what it means anymore. There's so many things that are out of our out of our control. But the question is, okay, we understand that and the uncertainty of that. How's your faith? What's the one sure thing that you're holding on to in the midst of what you're going through? That, that's really the issue here. Here's the second thing. Their love towards each other was increasing. I mean, look at what he says there. He says, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. It's growing. It's growing. Their love for each other. Look, here's what they realized. And I think this is what we realize. We need each other. See, this is the issue. We need to pray for each other. We need to be there for each other. We need to do things for each other. Care for each other. Help each other out through these times. Because they are difficult, right? Right? See, that's the measure of where you are. This is what really matters for you and I in the midst of everything that's going on right now. What really matters is how's your faith doing? How's your trust in Jesus? Can you hold on to him? And number two, how is your relationship with other believers? Here in the church family, some of you have friends who are believers, they maybe go to church somewhere else. How's your relationship with them? Are you showing love? See, this is what's important. In fact, think about it for a moment. Remember, I, we just talked about the false perception and about the way that we normally judge ourselves as far as how we're doing, you know, about whether we're, you know, our church attendance and whether we're giving or our involvement and how much Bible knowledge we have. When you think about these two issues about there being really the things that are most important, your faith and your trust in Jesus in the midst of everything that's going on, your love towards each other that's growing and, and being there for each other, those other things, They just seem trivial and meaningless, don't they? They're a false standard. So then he comes and he gets right to the heart of the issue. I mean, this is his prayer of thanksgiving. Uh, This blows my mind. He gives them a perspective. Really, he he talks to them about a proper attitude that they need to have. And as I'm reading this, I'm, I'm thinking about myself. Actually, when I was reading this, I was like, okay, I'm not doing too good here. Let me read you what he says. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God. All right, so he's talking about here something that he's bragging about them about. What's he bragging about? Look at what he's bragging about them. For your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. He's bragging about how they're handling the tough times. And, and we're not just talking about tough times here. When you look at words like persecution and tribulations, we're talking about extreme times, right? He's bragging about how they're enduring that. Look, it goes on. Which is the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom for which you all suffer? All right, so i got four things I want to point out to you here. Four things. All right, so before I point out the four things, would everybody agree times are tough? Would everybody agree with that? Would everybody agree stuff's happening in your lives? Yeah? Would you agree we a lot of times don't know what to do? Okay. And would you also agree, you don't need to be vocal, that one of the struggles we have right now is, God, why are you allowing this to happen? That's a real thought, isn't it? Well, all right, so here he is. He's bragging about a group of believers in Thessalonica that are enduring it, and he's going to talk about their right attitudes with what they're enduring. Okay, so here's the four things. All right, here's the first one. They were enduring suffering with patience. They were enduring it with patience. Now, <laughs> I'm not a pretty patient guy. I'm not I've been i I've been trained by our culture. What do you mean I've been trained by our culture? Well, you know, I can remember when I was a kid. I can remember when there were no drive-throughs. Anybody remember when there wasn't a drive-thru? And and when you would go, you'd have to wait. I can remember. I can remember because I used to love this as a kid, the Sears Roebuck catalog coming, the Christmas wish book. And I remember Sears sent one and J.C. Penney sent one. I like the one Sears better than the one from Penny's, okay? That was my personal preference, okay? And I, but I remember mom and dad would have to start thinking about Christmas gifts in August. Why in August? Well, because they did things like layaways. Do you remember what a layaway was? So you laid it away and you made payments on it until it, okay, or you had to order it and you and you ordered it because you didn't know when it would show up but you had to order it far enough ahead of time so it at least would be there for Christmas. How many of you guys remember that? Because that's not the way it is now. But I've become a, a a really a product of our culture now. Like, why didn't you send me tracking? What do you mean you want me to pull forward? I just placed this order. What do you mean you don't have my burger ready? We've become impatient, haven't we? And one of the things that we're really impatient with is how long do I have to go through this? God, I don't know I could take anymore. How can I endure this? Isn't that the way we pray when we're going through it? I don't know if I can take this anymore. But they, Paul says that they had a patience that he bragged about. That they patiently endured the stuff that they were going through. Now, how do you get there? How do you get there to where you're patient about the bad things in your life? Because, I mean, if you're like me, you're sitting there thinking, well, that's easier said than done, George. How do you do that? I'll tell you how you do that. It goes back to the issue of your faith. So if you've been paying attention to the adult Sunday school class, today's lesson was about David running from Absalom. And as he's running from Absalom, he's being cursed by a guy by the name of Shammai. One of his commanders, Abashi, brother of Joab, says, Hey, king, let me cut off his head. How dare he curse you? And David says, God sent him. You leave him alone. He's meant to curse me this day. I'm reading that. and I'm like, what? How do you do that? You have a deeper perspective. That nothing happens to you except that God allows it to happen. and So you endure. And you trust him to carry you through it. See, that, that's a proper attitude about the stuff that happens in our lives. They were enduring suffering with patience. Now with that, remember, it's, it goes right along with it. They were enduring suffering with Faith. Faith. Not faith in themselves. Isn't that where we go wrong? Is because when we go through the difficulty, here's what we normally check. Do I got the brain power? Do I got the wallet power? Do I have the physical power to deal with this problem? But I think we're all realizing that there's a lot of problems that are happening right now in our lives that none of those three can solve. And I would say that a lot of the problems that we face... None of those three can ever solve them. Somebody's got to carry us through them. And that's Jesus. That's the Lord. And we have to trust in him. Did you understand what I'm saying? We have to trust in him to carry us through that. And so they were enduring suffering with faith. Now do you see why faith is so important to your life? Listen, just simply ascending to a group of beliefs doesn't carry you through the garbage of life. What carries you through the garbage of life is that you have your trust and your faith in somebody that you know is real and that is interacting in your life. Do you understand? Here's the other thing he says. We see it in verse 5. Which is the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Now, this is going to be hard for some of you to accept. But this is what he's saying. When he talks about the manifest judgment, you say, what do you mean judgment? What is this, judgment on me? No, no, this is not the point he's making here. Here's the point. God sees our suffering in this world as necessary. I want you to think about that for a moment. God sees the stuff that you're going through as necessary for you and for I. What? Is, I, that, I don't know if I, I... I don't have that concept of God. Why would he do that? No, no, there's... There, listen, I want you to think about it. You know, I, I'm a parent. Lori and I, we, we, we parent our children. So you, some of you are parents and some of you are grandparents. I'm not a grandparent yet. and um, But there are times, you know, you want to be there for your children. And you want to help them out. But there are times when you know that you can't always do that because that's not what's best for them. That sometimes you have to allow them To go through the difficult times alone because that's where they're going to learn character and develop who they are as they face the stuff that they're going through in life. See, could God, let's be honest, can we, would we all agree, is God powerful enough to make sure that your life is problem free? Is God powerful enough to do that? Yeah, He is, of course. Boom, it'd be gone. Would that be good? Oh, yeah, it would be good, George. No, no, would it be good? No, no, it wouldn't be good for us. But isn't that what we want? But God sees our suffering in this world as necessary, as as Paul says, which is the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Because then he brings us to the final point that you and I need to recognize. He says this, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom for which you also suffer. All right, you ready for this one? The result of suffering is that we become worthy of the kingdom. You say, well, wait a minute, George, I, I I got a problem with that because... You know, aren't I already worthy? I mean, I'm worthy not because of myself, but because of what Jesus has done for me. How is it that suffering and the stuff that I go through makes me worthy of the kingdom? Okay, you're you're misunderstanding. Let me help you understand. Okay. It's not the trials that make you worthy to God. You're already worthy to God because of what Jesus has done for you. Everybody agree with that? Okay. Okay. When it talks about you being made worthy of the kingdom, what it's talking about is who you are developed into. It's the character that God develops you into, of who you are as a child of God. Did you understand? That's what he's talking about here. When he's talking about you being made worthy, he's not saying that it's what makes you worthy with God. It's talking about the, the essence of who you are is worthy of the kingdom. That's what he's talking about. See, now that gives you a whole new perspective then. Because then you are able to what? Face the stuff you go through with what? Patience. Patience. And faith. So let me wrap it up here, okay? I'll just give you one thought. You have to be realistic about the status of your relationship with Jesus. So if you're facing a situation, and you wonder, how am I doing with you, Lord? Here's what you don't look at. How involved you are, how much you're giving, how much you're attending. That's really not the measure. What is the measure? Is your faith growing? And is your love growing? And how are you handling the stuff you're going through. That will communicate volumes about how you and I are doing in our relationship with Jesus. Something for us to think about, isn't it?
0: Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. this coming week.